You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always typical Lydia today's show going to be doing the fan requested 2016 certified hits financially speaking the conjuring 2 it's kind of shocking to me was that i didn't even look at how much this movie made but i i don't understand why this would make so much money is it just that people are curious to see the follow-up to the first conjuring i I don't know i can't tell you why people go see movies lydia that's crazy to me (laughs) Suffice it to say, I was very disappointed with this film. Uh, I'm kind of indifferent. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen in the world. Because um, I saw a smash cut earlier this week. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's fine. I don't think I'll remember much of it after today. But that's fine. This request coming into us by uh, Ago Musatano. Thank you, Ago. For the request. Yeah, it's always interesting to uh, take a peek, again, at a movie that neither one of us had seen before. You guys had tuned in last week when we watched Lights Out. It was the same situation. It was a a fan request. And here we are again with another fan request film. Yeah, and I wish that I'd been wrong because I'd said somewhat cheekily in the last episode that I thought that Lights Out would probably be the best of the two. Mm -hmm. And I was I was right. I I wish that I kept wishing that we were watching Lights Out over again. Just watch it one more again. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to enjoy this because I do I am a big fan of ghost hunt mythology and I'm a big fan of seventies ghost hunters and fifties and sixties ghost hunters. Mm -hmm. Um not a huge Warren fan. Mm -hmm. If anything, I'm a hands holzer kind of girl. Okay hugely but i am very interested in cases that the warrens have covered mm-hmm. you know they covered the original annabelle which was a raggedy ann doll i had raggedy ann dolls around me and a mother who was very into these true stories so i'd probably heard all sorts of things about the Annabelle doll before i even knew what i was hearing about mm-hmm. i haven't seen the film not interested in seeing the film i'm very interested in the actual case though of course amityville huge fan of even the jay anson book Huge fan of the Amityville mythology. Huge fan of the controversy. That is the one case where I'm very interested in what the Warrens had to do and say about that particular case. Very Mm -hmm. interested. And that's really where the beginning and end of my fascination with Ed and Lorraine Warren lives and dies. Now, the Enfield haunting and haunting in Connecticut. I really enjoyed the haunting Connecticut film. A lot of people didn't. I I thought it was okay. I I liked that movie quite a bit. It had some things that actually genuinely creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Ray, he worked on the sound or the dailies. I forget if he's a dailies technician or if he was working on the sound, but he had a, a hand in that film, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The Enfield Haunting, to the best that I know, and I double checked this on Wikipedia as well, because I remember it being like a British thing. It's not an, it's not an American investigation. Correct. And Lorraine Warren showed up and said there's a lot of money to be made here and then we're asked to leave Mm -hmm. so from the beginning of this film to the point where ed and lorraine warren show up is probably fairly accurate Mm -hmm. but then everything from the ed and lorraine warren showing up is 100 percent completely fabricated Mm -hmm. 
with probably just a little bit of peppering from the actual case. If anyone's interested in the Enfield Haunting, there's a three-part miniseries that was made a couple years ago that apparently covers it very tightly. Hmm. And it is a fascinating case. I'm very fascinated by that case. But I was just so turned off by the Ed and Lorraine Warren story that was made out of this particular haunting for this film. As much as I like Vera Farmiga, I like her so much in Bates Motel, and I think she's a wonderful human being, and I feel just kind of sad that she had to be involved in this. I don't think she feels sad, but yeah, so the the Conjuring films at this point uh, represent an interesting thing in horror that hasn't happened in a little while. Some people have been commenting on how it's really the first of its kind. It's not. In, in that is it established... A universe. Its epicenter is the Warrens. So for those of you who don't know, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, a couple of crazy kooks from <laughs> back back in the old days. Are we just being mean because they're so Catholic? No, no, they're not being mean. Uh, I'm not I'm not being mean because they're they're Catholics, but they were uh, very famous uh, paranormal researchers is the wrong word. But... Well, he was a demonologist and yeah. she was a, a light trance medium. Yes. So... What ends up happening is the first Conjuring film comes out, and it's a big hit. Uh, I, I did see that movie. I do like the first Conjuring movie more than this one, but uh, it, but what that movie did was it peppered in the Annabelle doll. In the in the film, the Annabelle doll is a, a creepy China doll that really reminds me of like that stupid dummy doll that was in my fucking grandparents' basement. But in reality, it was a Raggedy Ann doll, a very large one, as a matter of fact, and. I think that, uh, well, I mean, I don't know who owns the property of a Raggedy Ann, but they probably just don't want it, their little hell doll to be front and center. So they remake it so it's not a Raggedy Ann doll. Uh, so that film, I feel a lot more depthly included the Annabelle doll in it, whereas this film has another inclusion of this nun. And this nun is getting its own spinoff much in the same way that the Annabelle doll does. So... Right now, we have a Conjuring 1, we have a Conjuring 2, we have an Annabelle, soon to be an Annabelle 2, yeah, with an upcoming nun film, all peppered in with the Warrens, all connected. Here's your horror universe. There's been a while since anything like that has happened in horror, that's for sure. Uh, when you're dealing with monster mashes and crossovers, I kind of feel like there's your universes right there. You're acknowledging that these entities exist within the same world as each other. So whether you're talking about Alien versus Predator or Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, I mean, those are universes. But this is the first time in a sort of a big glossy way. And I mean, I even know that now Universal is is making their, bringing their Universal monsters back as its own universe with Mummy and Jekyll and Hyde and all this other stuff. That's pretty much where we're at with these Conjuring films the Conjuring films are uh, helm, not all of them, but uh, overseen by James Wan. And this film did incredibly well when it came out, both critically and uh, financially. I th- it speaks to uh, a type of horror that uh, never really bothers me. I-, I-, I feel there's plenty of room in the horror rainbow for everybody. Uh, these t- horror films tend to occupy a different space than what a lot of times we're used to. It's a PG-13 film, for example, but what I really feel The Conjuring 2 suffers from, really suffers from, is a confused thesis because of the fact that we are spending too much time with other entities. Let's focus on the Enfield haunting, which we don't do. Which almost feel duped. You almost feel duped because you... 
It's not that it's called Enfield Haunting whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's The Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. Nothing is really conjured in either of the Conjuring films, which is interesting. But the fact that we're, you know, told and we're, we're fed for the first 20 minutes at least Enfield Haunting. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes this mishmash, this kitchen sink sort of thing where they're throwing just everything at us. And I would, like, by the end of this, I really would have enjoyed a film, no matter how short it would have been, if you take this entire film and cut out all instances of the nun mm-hmm. and all instances of the Warrens, mm-hmm. then it's kind of like a master class in possession film. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And I think that the strongest elements of this film is the Enfield haunting elements sans the Warrens. Yes. I think that the the, the, the inclusion of the, the Warren characters, there's no reason why the Warrens couldn't be in it. Historically, they were involved with this case. For like a day. Bring them in, take them out. Yeah. That would have been interesting and it would have been a, a cute way to sort of still have all this universe for those that feel they need it, still sort of tied together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I'm glad that you agree with me at least there. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. My problem, my problem is, is like I just don't get like as venomous towards films like this because I don't think that there's particularly anything wrong with it. But I think what suffers is there's also not anything particularly memorable about it either. I, I think that if anything else, this gets shuffled in with a lot of ghost films that have been coming out lately, where you, you're you're going to get to the point where. It's harder to keep some of these films straight. And I think that if I were to tell anybody about these The Conjuring films, I'd say watch the first one and you're pretty much good with The Conjuring films, I feel. I don't know. Like maybe I was in the wrong headspace for it today, but it just wasn't. I certainly wasn't. Uh, they got me with one jump, but I didn't find it very scary. Um, Almost the kind of jump scare where afterward you're like, oh, what a cheap shot. Yeah, yeah, but I found things I liked elements of it. There's one element that I I very much dislike about it, but that's coming from uh me being a demonologist geek that I am. There's something I very much love about this film, and it comes from me being a four year old kid at <laughs> heart, a really creepy four year old kid. Yeah, so I think that there's um there's it's not as though there's nothing to recommend, but I just think that. It's a step down from the original Conjuring, which wasn't the greatest thing in the first place. I can't recommend this film personally, and because I, I wouldn't know anyone that I would recommend this film to at all. I just can't put a face with this at all. Mm-hmm. But um, I would definitely recommend people learn about the Enfield haunting, learn about all of the things that he's riffing off of with all of his Warren universe. Mm-hmm. Learn about the real Ed and Lorraine Warren and learn what uh, hucksters they could have been in some people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Learn about some of the actual hauntings they investigated mm-hmm. in earnest. Yeah. Oh, if you ask my mom about the Warrens, she definitely hucksters. Oh, yeah. Is the nicest thing that... <laughs> That's why if you're interested in hauntings and actual ghost hunting and ghost hunting when it was at its prime mm-hmm. before we had all of the technology that we have today... Hans Holzer, go and check out Alexandra Holzer, his daughter. She has, uh, she's on Twitter. She mm-hmm. has a book called Growing Up Haunted. She's uh, the subject of a graphic novel, I believe it is, uh, called Ghost Gal. Mm-hmm. And she's a fascinating person and a paranormal investigator of her own and all of her father's books, specifically Ghosts mm-hmm. by Hans Holzer. Yankee Ghosts was a book I grew up with too. So that's super important cornerstone of ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in that sort of thing. And part of me wants to say, oh, well, that's what these films lead people to learn about things that they wouldn't have otherwise still. It's it's not inaccurate. 
It's you, it, 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 and if you try to stay as positive as possible, I think that's a, a good positive. Still to doesn't say. feel worth it to me, though. Well, I mean, yeah, I suppose not, but at at the same time, I I don't feel as though you can glean nothing from this. If you're interested in the Warrens, or if you're interested in the Amityville horror, then again, there's there's entire films and documentaries dedicated to the Amityville. Uh, hauntings incidents in terms of the true crime if you're interested in the criminal uh uh goings on what actually happened in that house you could go to oh i don't know spotterpictures.net where i let me write that down where you can go to spotterpictures.net where uh, a couple of years ago i released uh, an article talking about the true life versus fictional aspects of not only the amityville horror but the haunting in connecticut and uh films like texas chainsaw massacre and uh, there might have been another one in there, but I can't quite remember it right now. But I definitely know that I covered those three films. True crime on spiderfishers.net. That's time well spent. <laughs> yeah. So you guys can definitely check that out. Or, I mean, you can go to other resources. I can't vouch for something I wrote years ago. But it seems to have come up every now and again that we're always dealing with films that have some true story tint to it. So films like... But, I mean, this fucking really has... Like, the like, I was shocked that we were starting out at the Amityville house. I was not expecting that even a little bit. And I don't know why, but Oh, I fully expected it. It was nice, actually. I was that was fully welcomed. And and with it being an Ed and Lorraine Warren thing, then I it didn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I felt more at home and it actually sealed me within this fictional portrayal of the Warrens mm-hmm. uh via V, the actual Warrens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was one of my favorite things about these fictional Warrens. Wasn't Ed Warren's sideburns? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, which was... is fitting when they all sit around and do a kumbaya moment and sing some Elvis, and he's even got the lip curl and the sideburns to go with it, which is just—it yeah. feels like I've wa- I'm talking about a different movie, but sadly I'm not. This is—it feels like the real Ed Warren was looking would look at that if he were alive uh, and say like, uh, "I wish I was that cool looking." <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah. But yeah. I hope that if in the in the future film version of the Dead Air podcast, I hope I'm played by a hunky dude with sweet sideburns. Yeah, you you should be. You better be. Mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. do what I can. I don't know. I've only heard that I should be played by Zoe Deschanel. In there you everything. go. Yeah. There you so, go. Whoever will go uh, along with Zoe Deschanel. There you go. There you go. Before we get into The Conjuring 2... Which I'm going to try and not be an asshole through the whole thing. I stopped taking notes when I realized that I was starting to write things like stupid in all caps. So I'm going to try and be like way better behaved than I was in my notes. But I do want to answer a question that came to us from Twitter from Thomas. Yeah. Wes and Lydia, how do you swag so well? Well, Thomas, I'm glad you asked. He's lying. I'm not really clear on what swag is. I don't really get what this um you know hip urban speak is that you're that you're doing but that is not what thomas asked us at all well i mean i learned the word from justin bieber so i don't know how urban it is disgusting (laughs) anyway thomas asks us what's some of your all-time favorite deaths slash kill scenes in horror cinema i had gone ahead and answered a little on twitter first prefacing it with i totally want to talk for like three or four hours with wes about this (laughs) because i know we could 
we totally could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely answered the waterbed kill in pieces because mm-hmm. I could rewind that and watch it over and over. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it. I remember when we covered that movie, you were very vocal about loving that scene, especially when we were watching the movie. It was yeah. kind of creepy. Probably. I think I probably <laughs> rewound it too and watched it twice right there. Yeah. The first time I saw pieces, I did that exactly. Um, there's a couple of kills in, in pieces that I enjoy very much, but then I'd gone on to say all of wrong turn two, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the problem we run into discussing this. It's like Friday the 13th. Do you like any of the kills in Friday the 13th, Wes? I do like a lot of the kills in Friday the 13th. I love the first real kill in part five. It's not even Jason Voorhees, but it's where the people at the that youth farmhouse, one guy gives one guy a candy bar. Other guy isn't fucking having it and then just axes that kid to death. And I I always remember howling with laughter with that one. I mean, Jason takes Manhattan, that one guy getting his head uppercutted off off of a building. The head goes into a dumpster and the dumpster lid closes like a fucking cartoon. It's amazing. I love that. I mean, from Friday, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, the guy in the wheelchair getting knifed and then rolling back down the second real kill in the first Friday the 13th movie where we have the 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 girl's throat slashed in the woods I always like that kill I like that whole chase sequence you know full disclosure I didn't see this tweet so like I had to I was reeling like I was hold, holding my head trying to think of every kill that I could possibly like the first thing that stuck into my head and what keep i keep going back to which is so hilarious that you just said stuck into your head <laughs> but what was the first thing that stuck into your head was was a knife a big giant shiny knife from the prowler yeah. that goes into the top of the dude's head comes out the bottom of his jaw his eyes roll back white and it sticks on it this is a an amazing amazing kill in a film full of amazing kills if you guys haven't watched prowler or if you haven't listened to our episode about prowler do yourself a fucking favor listen to the episode about prowler or just go watch prowler and be amazed by tom savini's work in one of the best unsung slashers i've ever seen but i mean how can you stop there what about all of the kills in dead alive yeah right like and you it's like after you were done holding your head for a bit because i did the same thing too I had to go and have a shower and then I washed dishes to, to think this through. But the very first thing that came to my head was the waterbed death in pieces. Like the first thing that came to your head was the knife through the head and prowler. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it all comes crashing in on you. How mm-hmm. many fucking brilliant kills that you've mm-hmm. seen in your in your horror life. And even like recently, I think one of my new all-time favorite deaths in horror is the very end of Don't Torture a Duckling. Mm-hmm. And... It is absurd, and anyone that's seen it will will be laughing their ass off right now because it is kind of funny, and I can't spoil it because I want people to see the whole movie. And it is a very serious movie. It's not till the very, very end that there's this just absurd death that, yeah, absolutely absurd. Um, but it and it goes on for quite some time, so it's one of my new favorites. But the uh, all everything that happens in the cave in Bone Tomahawk mm-hmm. is like amazingly gory and shocking especially after being sort of lulled into that story up until that point mm-hmm. and those are some of my favorite slow slow deaths quick quick deaths i don't know the the halloween the buddy getting fucking pinned to the door yeah well 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 mike michael myers 
tilts his head at him, right? And just kind of contemplates this guy's dead body. That's a great fucking sequence. Like you had said, Hellraiser. Hellraiser. That came to mind for me, too. Frank, Jesus wept. My God. Getting himself fully torn apart. Yeah, yeah. You could say the head exploding in scanners, but I mean, what uh, Twitter gif factory didn't remind you of that every fucking day? Yeah, or same thing, you know, very famous sequences, Johnny Depp dying in Nightmare on Elm Street. That's an iconic death. Tina getting dragged around the, the, the room, room yeah. the room, right? That's an iconic death. Like, how can you not say those are some of your favorites, right? Like, there's so... There's so many. Uh-huh. We could sit here for fucking days and yeah. talk about this. Like, unfortunately slash fortunately, because there are just so many amazing, brilliant deaths that have left their mark on us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it really comes down to like pieces and prowler. Yeah, because it, it, it just kept jumping back into my head as as a superior execution <laughs> of of these uh, spatial, uh, practical effects. I mean, let's be real. A lot of the times with horror, yes, you can start with a really good story, but in certain eras, especially during things like the slasher boom, etc., it was all about your set piece deaths. What could you accomplish on screen that hasn't been seen before? And what can you slip past the censorship board? And that's why things like Pieces and Prowler stand out so much. I can't believe the deaths in Prowler were not fucking cut. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me that they're not cut because they linger on those death sequences. Pieces is the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite death scene is yet to come because there's so much horror that we're watching all the time. New yeah. horror, right? So yeah. it'll change next week. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and sometimes I'm weird. Sometimes it's... It really is. My favorite deaths, generally speaking, if we're talking about something that's a spectacle, demonstrates a character's brutality, mm-hmm. a character's power. Mm-hmm. Uh, the death of a particularly annoying character can hit me really well where I'm like, mm, yeah, fuck that guy. It seems that like both of our favorites so far, like the first ones that came to mind and the ones that we really keep shaking our heads and being like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that was really cool, Prowler and Pieces, have to do with great big shiny knives. Great big shiny knives, yeah. yeah. Right, 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 right. But I mean, that's why I keep going back to, to, to Death and Hellraiser because they're so fucking cool. Yeah. They're so weird and wild and... And People as, getting absolutely torn apart. Things that you wouldn't see or you'd otherwise look away. Things yeah. that are impossible for us to see. Those are very interesting to us, too, to see how mm-hmm. it's handled in the special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're dealing with the types of powers that the the, the Cenobites have. Mm-hmm. is so different, especially by the time you're getting to three. I mean, they're getting more and more creative with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a tough question. That's real hard. It's fun, though. It's yeah, fun. It's That's fun. why I really wanted to answer it on the show because it is a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and as much as I'd hope the Conjuring Two was was fun, it's it's nice that we had a little a little break from that. So thanks, Thomas, for <laughs> the question to brighten up our day, brighten up my day. Talk about big shiny knives. <laughs> uh, now I will say for the Conjuring, it's not there's there's elements I like about them, and I'm going to talk about the elements that I like about them that I think are strengths in the script, and and it, because. Listen, the things that I don't like about this film, I think, are the unfortunate result of the fact that this film 
at the very least, the first Conjuring film was probably not really intended to be broken off into franchises and et cetera, et cetera. And I think Conjuring 2 suffers from the fact that, well, now we have to, to, to expand. This has to introduce another thing so we can make a sequel to that. And then we'll do another Conjuring film. And then so we have our Annabelle franchise going and our Nun franchise going and our Conjuring franchise going. So we'll have all that running concurrently. So I unfortunately feel that this film is bearing the brunt of that by having to carry a lot of things. Not only the fact that that has increased the film's length to, I think, 25 minutes too long, but I also feel that it's detracting from really what we're here to see. And it really stops any sort of mood or atmosphere from truly forming because we're being introduced to uh, two different films quite readily in front of each other, constantly, constantly bouncing back and forth to what is this? What kind, what type of haunting are we dealing with? It seems to be everything. Yeah. It didn't organically move into this other story or mm-hmm. through the, the, the third story almost, because you can almost consider the nun its own storyline entirely. Mm-hmm. So it didn't like move seamlessly and organically through these ideas at all. It was sort of all just held together with bailing twine and, and rubber cement. Yeah. A positive to this film is the fact that, and I had mentioned it as we were watching, I like the fact that this is a story that we're being introduced to where it's not a family coming to a house that they just bought, yeah, wandering through the house like they'd never been there before, looking down into the basement and seeing a long staircase and what's down there with eerie music playing. And having their, their bratty 16-year-old teenage son be like, well, that's where my bedroom's going to be because I'm a rubble. Yeah, which is funny because that's pretty much like, Haunting a Connecticut. <laughs> it is. But I like that movie. And also, what, the same sort of thing that I enjoyed is that this was a family that had been established in this house for quite some time. They all got along. They had like little tiny normal problems, mm-hmm. but nothing that would make you think, okay, this is going to be your Regan. This is your 13-year-old um, prepubescent girl who's going to have the psychic problems who hates her mom and her mom's never there and the dad this and like you're not just filling in all these blanks and playing paint by numbers Mm -hmm. um thank god it's based on a real story and it does stay very true to that Mm -hmm. uh exactly Uh, the 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 filming of these opening sequences is quite well done it looks great i mean it ought to I like the voyeuristic camera angle once we get to Enfield, because we do spend some time with the, the Warrens mm-hmm. and some some time in the Amityville house. And mm-hmm. it's, it's filmed in one way. And then we meet the family in the house in Enfield. And when we're going through their evening routine of settling mm-hmm. in for the night, the camera is coming in on a crane and with some handheld bits. So it seems very voyeuristic. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoy that unsettling nature. It's done very, very well. The palette of this film, I really enjoy too, because it's not all bright colors or misty. Um, there's no, no hint of the further. And I really expected a Lin Shay further sort of feel here and there and didn't get it. Although some of the, some of the specters in the Amityville house are moving like, things in the further were that single frame motion oh i didn't even notice yeah maybe it was just done subtly enough that it, it didn't yeah it's it's me. it's not really in your face all too much um i think that uh that was really reminding me of um 
Insidious. I had high hopes in the first 20 minutes of this film that you're saying, like when you said it wasn't really in your face, I, that's where I started to get lulled into thinking, maybe this won't be so bad because it wasn't all in your face. It was done very subtly. The camera work was very good. The Enfield haunting story I was getting very deeply into. Mm-hmm. And then the the jump scare started and da, 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 da. yeah, we'll get into that. But um, I think yeah. that the the film has acted well enough. I th- I, th- I think everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. There's not like anyone that stands out as like, well, that's terrible. No. Uh, no everyone's right. doing a good job. Um, I I think that I think that this film has an audience. I th- I know that there's an audience for this film. Look, it, like I'm surprised at man, critics like this movie. And and again, though, like if people can be talked out of going to see a movie so readily. And they're talked out of going to see some very good films or films that aren't performing at all in the theater like expected. And things that really kind of jump out are 10 Cloverfield Lane, Mm -hmm. where people bitched and complained about it to the point that people didn't go and see it. Mm -hmm. And then Crimson Peak, which we whine and and moan about Mm -hmm. people not going to see Crimson Peak. There's a lot of films that suffer that fate where people listen to some sort of buzz. But then I see a movie like this where a lot of people went to go and see and seem to enjoy the hell out of and it's getting spin-offs and it made all sorts of money and I'm like what why what how come this didn't trigger people saying oh it's a waste you shouldn't go see it it's not good even even down to the Warrens themselves in the first conjuring film we have this idea about the Warrens going through and not only trying to do paranormal research and 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 trying to help people who need it, but also uh, putting fears to rest when things are hoaxes or when people think they're haunted and they're not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They always allude to this event that happened in, Miss and War- in Mrs. Warren's life where she got real close to a-, a demon showed her something and it terrified her and it made uh, Ed Warren pull back and not want her to be fully exposed to this stuff. So now we do the same thing in this film. It's like we're having the same talk again, except now it's the thing that uh, Lorraine saw that she's trying to keep Ed from. And I'm, I was like, it's not good enough, narratively speaking, to just have the same problem, but have the other character have it, right? Mm-hmm. I just think that it's lazy. Also, there's a lot of mimicked scenes people fleeing the house in the middle of the night the entire last act of of people leaving the house leaving uh one person and a possessed person in this house is identical to the first film like you don't go far enough to make things different and so i'm i just don't understand why i don't understand why a movie like this is so heavily praised it's not it's not the worst fucking thing in the world but it's far from fucking bulletproof. And I'm talking about just narratively speaking. I'm not talking about if this movie actually scared you or if the acting is okay for it shot well, whatever. I'm just talking about the, the story doesn't make any fucking sense. And, and you're not being bold enough at all with your fucking storytelling, which tells me that they shoved this fucking thing out the door with almost no fucking looks. And, and they don't care that it's the exact same structure. And we're spending all the time with the Warrens. And I don't know why I have to spend all the time with these characters while they just fucking go around the same fucking conversation. We shouldn't be doing this. Let's get out. Let's not do this. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. <laughs> I know. I'm worried about our daughter. It's really, like, really cloying. When 
interspersed into all of this, you have a very good ghost story of the Enfield haunting that's done very well and handled very well. So it's yeah. very disappointing to sit that's back the thing. I was and like, be I... teased with this relentlessly over and over throughout this. Because every time we're back to the Warrens, I'm like, here we fucking go with yeah. these people. Like, and I think they're interesting characters, and I know that they're historical characters at this point, and and like I get it, I understand, but you could have accomplished this a lot more subtly. I think that if you want these things to feel fresh, especially if you're doing a sequel, you have an opportunity, a golden opportunity with stories like this that are circulated around paranormal researchers. Have the paranormal researchers as your constant, but don't make the whole fucking movie about them. And that way you can have a new movie about a new family and a new haunting every single time, new demons, new ghosts, new activities aliens whatever as long as the warrens are there you have a limitless potential they really do and 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 you waste it because you think i need more you think i need more of these guys and i don't need more of these guys i know these guys they could have had the characters in there for one day abandoned them and you had other paranormal researchers in england with these people that were working with this family that believed them wholeheartedly and the and and, and if you don't want to depict the warrens as bad people because they dip on this family that's fair, but just you have enough reasonable doubt that the church would have made the Warrens leave. The cute part is that they didn't exactly dip. They were told to leave because they came in there on their huckster hustle and were like, well, there's a lot of money to be made here because they were the ones that perpetuated a lot of the hoaxes, unfortunately. And that's yeah. just the documented truth. Yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting, though, that there is this fictional Warrens. And I'm trying, I keep trying to remind myself that this is the fictional Warrens. These are the James Wan Warrens. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right still that they could just be mentioned. They're, they're a footnote in the story. They're something that you come back to. They're a linchpin. But the actual story needs to revolve around them, not it'll, have... If you do that, it'll always feel fresh. Yeah. yeah. And that's my problem. It's like it doesn't feel fresh to me. And, and 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 I'm I am an apologizer of a lot of these possession and haunting films and stuff like that because I think that they're a popular niche. I'm glad that lots of people are watching horror. If more people are watching and talking about horror and more money is going towards horror, I'm fine with it. I don't need everything to be like a little horror movie that I put in my back pocket because I don't mind a lot of these movies. No, and it seems that a lot of the time, it, as long as you can have a good time with it, it didn't ruin your day. No, so you're pretty happy about that. But yeah. And this one, I wouldn't say it ruined anyone's day. No, it's but... just like, it's so much wasted potential. And that's what's driving me kind of nutty about it. And I haven't even gotten to the fucking Valak thing. But um... <laughs> this is where I, I feel disappointed about this. Uh, a lot of things about this film. But let's talk about something I love. Okay, great. Which is the children's rhyme from Miss from yes. Mother Goose. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about this whole film. Mm -hmm. There was a crooked man, Wes. Oh? He walked a crooked mile. Mm. And guess what? What? He found a crooked sixpence. Whoa. Upon a crooked style. Oh. You know what a style is? No. It's little stairs that go over a fence. Oh. Yeah. He bought a crooked cat, probably with a sixpence, I guess. And generous, yeah, you know. Totally. And it caught a crooked mouse. Oh, useful. Uh-huh. They all live together. Guess oh. where? Guess where? Where? In a little crooked house. Get out. I know, right? <laughs> Shit. That's what it was like every time I read this to myself as a child, because I was like so stoked on this, you know, it's the shortest little nursery rhyme ever. Mm -hmm. And the images that went along with it with my illustrated Mother Goose book when I was little, 
were captivating like little pictures can be to kids and it had all the elements of the story contained in the one picture mm-hmm. i really enjoyed this and i still would say this rhyme all of the time i used to like sort of relate this rhyme to my ex who had a bit of a limp and a stoop and stuff like that and he had a little crooked hat and stuff like that so i used to like think about this rhyme and sort of giggle to myself thinking mm-hmm. about that loser but um to see it used in this tickled me mm-hmm. and that they have a crooked man rhyme that is contained in the zootrope toy. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. love that. There's one thing that James Wan films do for me is that I can play Martha Stewart with home decor and look <laughs> at all the cool candlesticks and mm-hmm. neat toys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just some of the decor that he chooses in his films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the toy is a really, really nice touch. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Why, don't, why isn't there going to be a spinoff movie about the crooked man? I don't know, because this is an element to the film that I, I had no idea was present. Everyone's talking about the nun that's in this film, and I get it. She's, uh, she's in it a lot. But also, this crooked man, this Tim Burton-esque, slender man kind of creature oh it's terrifying yeah yeah if you have a problem with fucking circus folk or any type of there's something really cool about a kid's rhyme and how kind of creepy they can be sometimes and if you were to put this crooked man in your presence what would that be like well i tell you it's fucking creepy it's this really elongated long thing and i and and honestly this crooked man was indeed its own entity i'd be like where's this thing spin off i know i would love like just if i'd like to edit this film a couple ways right Mm -hmm. and edit out the crooked man bits and just it's a story of when a child gets so infused with a rhyme the way i was with this particular rhyme too so it even speaks to me doubly Mm -hmm. but there's a scene later on in this film where it seems that this daughter the girl that played um janet is possessed by the crooked man Mm -hmm. and it is terrifying and this is where Juan can really bring it and you know the whole movie together my the one line that runs through my head is oh how he has fallen because it is not a good film but then there's these little snippets where you get to see these glimpses of brilliance which you know it's not why people go to the theater because they had no idea that this was happening and it's not what's memorable because it's not what people are talking about and there's no crooked man spinoff happening mm-hmm. that we know of and i don't know why i can't i'm wondering that james wan is a dude that has been involved with horror for 17 fucking years 20 years almost the guy has been around forever um he can do really good work and i'm not entirely convinced that the elements of this film that he has made that I don't like are really his doing. I'm wondering how much fucking control he had over. Well, he wrote the screenplay, directed and produced it. So I, but, but and the... I had to double check that after too. But know? to me, I, if see, it seems like studio inter- interference, you have to have these elements within this film. So you have to write the script with these elements in it. Right. I wish that they could just somehow like cigarette burn the film. So we'll know what's the James Wan bit and what's not. Yeah, but I just know I like I know he's I know he has uh, control over it, and the dude has has made enough money for for studios like this that they would he would likely have more pull. But if we're doing a universe film, I cannot help but like be reminded about the reason why 
these Marvel and DC films can't hold on to directors because the studio says, no, 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 no. And even multi-million dollar bank earners like Joss Whedon don't have full control over their fucking pictures. So I can't help but think that maybe Warner Brothers was thinking the same thing. They're like, look, we're doing a universe now, so you need to have these like more emphasis on these elements. Whereas at least Annabelle in the first Conjuring film was subtle. Yeah. Right? Like it's subtle. It was just to set up the Warrens. There's one more scene with the Annabelle doll in it. It fits to the current narrative that they're telling. So the Conjuring films are just the spaghetti that they're throwing at the wall and anything that sticks, they make a movie out of. I guess. I don't know. It's a shame that the Crooked Man didn't stick because it was cool. And it it seems almost that they wanted it to because they poured a lot of CG into him. Yeah, yeah. They poured a lot of like really cool lines for that little girl uh, that are related to the Crooked Man specifically. Oh, her coming in with that rhyme, like like the, I guess the murder verse version of that rhyme. Best version of that rhyme. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. like the police discover the zoetrope as a toy at the beginning when mm-hmm. they think someone has broken into the house and is hiding in his little fort, um, Billy's little fort. And the zoetrope makes an appearance at the very end of the film, too, because it is the one talisman that Ed Warren takes home with him to add to their little collection of mm-hmm. creepy things yeah. from cases they've worked on. So it's like they really wanted this to be. Something that people hung on to, but no, they're interested in the nun, which is just weird to me. Yeah, yeah. Because the nun is simply a guise for a demon anyway. Yeah. And I was hoping that the nun, you know, was someone who had visited the house. The nun was somebody who had, um, you know, treated the spirit that is ultimately haunting the Enfield house. Mm -hmm. Or uh, someone who had tried to exercise it and, and got killed or something. But the nun is just not even existent as a nun whatsoever it's simply a an outfit that this demon is wearing yeah yeah it really is yeah very strange to me so this little girl is possessed this is how possession films go a family's in a house someone's getting possessed there are some cool scenes in the first bit of this film that we really enjoyed as far as a haunting uh thinking there's somebody in the chair thinking there's somebody in the fort Mm -hmm. thinking there's somebody in the room having uh the door creak open even though you'd put a chair under it and the chair suddenly in the middle of your room again and then you hear footsteps coming up Hmm. like some very scary Mm -hmm. moments Mm -hmm. and then they culminate with things like bed shaking uh things flying across the room unexpectedly good scary possession house yeah, and, what, and and once become then basically an earmark of the Conjuring films at this point is highly aggressive hauntings, mm-hmm. ones that aren't waiting for you to leave, so it can demonstrate things only to the people being possessed. No, this is very much oh we're fucking shit up right now. We don't care if there's police in the house. We don't care if there's fifty people in the house. We're still going to continue to. Uh, do our poltergeist shit. So I really wanted to see James Wan do the entity mm-hmm. after after it was like passed off from the guy that had created the ring uh, into rumored James Wan territory. I really wanted to see him tackle that. I was pensive, the same way I'm pensive coming into a film like this, and rightfully so, now that I've seen it, in my opinion anyway. Um so it would be like the Conjuring sixty nine, where they have the rape ghost. Is that maybe? But take? but at the same time, like if the entity was, it depends who the studio was, and it depends how much like really 
I, I, I'm giving James Wan the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why, but I am th- that that if he was given total complete creative control in a in a way, I know that he's he's got all the the acolytes on this picture, but I'm not I'm not convinced that Warner Brothers does did not have their fucking hooks in this script. But if uh, he was allowed free reign, yeah, and that's how I think too that yeah. he could he would make the ultimate entity movie. He's fine with dark subject matter. He's yeah. fine with that. He's good at haunting movies. Because uh, the ha- hunting bits in this are very good, and like I yeah. said while we're watching it, this is like the entity with no sex. That's how brutal this ghost is. Yeah. But then from the mid on, it's just so much Warrens and none. And- so much Warrens, so much nuns and stuff like that. Then look, I'll give you the nun looks cool, but uh, but I mean it doesn't really do anything for me. It wasn't very interesting. Uh, I don't really care. And then when you find out what the nun is, <sighs> there's like a part of me that is just thinking. Ugh, come on, come on. Now you're just making stuff up. Well, I mean, so what the nun is, I was, I, I know we're like not really sticking to the script, but like, um, what the nun is, is a, the demon Valak. The demon Valak is a named demon in the Lesser Key of Solomon. And I've seen a lot of this recently in films, and not only just films, but in television, uh, with like Ash versus Evil Dead, et cetera, et cetera. People seem to be using demons a hell of a lot more than ghosts and i'm not exactly sure what the big change was it might have been insidious that's where i definitely first noticed where we're starting to use demons but you're starting to hear words like zaphon elagos and ball demonic names named from the lesser key of solomon this is a text that's been around for a while um you can get it at chapters if you're really so inclined so what valak is the marquis of snakes it's very cool a great president of hell don't ask me what a great president of hell there's presidents and kings and greater demons and there's all kinds of things that operate in hell valak himself uh depicted as um a youth a boy uh, in the lesser key of solomon with angelic wings and he rides a fucking two-headed dragon or something pretty metal um command of 30 legions I remember correctly. The hierarchies in hell are the same as the hierarchies in, in heaven. So if someone's going to believe in seraphim and cherubs and all that crap, then they're going <laughs> to believe in, in this too, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that, that Valak is known for, honestly, in the Lesser Key of Solomon, he was a demon that could answer secrets, uh, give you the location of treasures. Not unlike Paimon. Paimon is a, is a, is a king of hell that in way, some way, shape, or form can basically tell the future. Um, I knew a lot about science or something. Sorry, I'm going off like my brain, but uh, basically it's not really a demon that I would associate with this behavior because it's kind of like a demon that you would ask for shit um, or to learn the location of shit. Demons that you, a demon like this that you would have a pact with would, uh, would be good if you were like some kind of a treasure hunter or something like that. But in terms of like aggressively haunting and trying to lure a little girl's soul in, or maybe they're going after the Warrens. I don't know. There's like a weird Constantine vibe of this where like all of the demon world and underworld and, and what know of the Warrens. Like, I feel like that's the vibe they're giving off. Cause they're just so fucking notorious swords of the angels type characters now if they were john constantine i could i could understand the whole do you know who i am line that the, is a real line that ed warned throughout in his uh, investigation his one yeah. fucking hour investigation yeah that he actually spent with this little girl mm-hmm. but like yeah 
They're not Constantine. They're not Constantine. <laughs> Maybe as much as Warren would have, uh, Ed Warren would have wanted himself to be Constantine. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, if I dye my hair and wear a brown trench coat, I'm kind of Constantine, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. But yeah. So the inclusion of Valak, I mean, it's interesting that they introduce the general public to the idea of knowing a demon's true name, then getting dominion over it. That is accurate if you believe in demons at all. This isn't the first movie to, do, to act like this, though. No, but I mean, it is a very big movie. So, um, so like, I, so I mean, there's that or, or whatever. I feel the inclusion... The actress has introduced us to all of this already. That's right. So perhaps it is just Pazuzu. <laughs> or goes there if we're going to go into Ghostbusters territory, which is a sort of a mishmash of this. So maybe Valak is slumming it. Maybe. I don't understand why a demon like, you know, I'm talking about like, I don't understand why <laughs> Valak, answer this if you can. I don't understand why a demon like Valak would have any interest in killing the Warrens or taking possession of this little girl. And you could answer this like, well, it's a demon and it's like inherently evil. Mm, yes. However, uh, I mean, if you were to believe texts that exist in religious documents, then there's no reason not to, since all of this stuff is based around it. I don't understand why you would make the leap to say that all demons have the exact same interest and methodology in corrupting souls. Uh, but that's a whole other, like, I'm getting way off the fucking rails here with that. But Partially, but not really, because this is, as much as me saying people should go and read Enfield Haunting and go and read Hans Holzer if they're interested in actual fucking hauntings mm -hmm. and not take this as gospel, because it's very, very removed from the actual Warrens, it's very, very interesting to read up on demonology instead of taking a fictional characters, a fictional fictional characters mm -hmm. take on it mm -hmm. as gospel. Mm -hmm. I just think that um, when you're, I, I I just think that when you're including these things, um, I don't. I, I'm very curious about. There's a lot more blatantly aggressive demons that they could have picked from. It's just so random. Or more trickster demons that would decide like I'm going to trap this old man in his house and unleash him on this family and mm -hmm. just sit back and, mm -hmm. and giggle. Yeah, because yeah, we're I mean we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Valak is kind of the big reveal of this film that... we get way way ahead of ourselves my favorite part is when we get to see valak be revealed because seeing a nun turn into a fucking super metal demon with awesome dancing horns is fucking cool oh man i thought that thing was gonna bust out like a fucking guitar and just start shredding and shit like that yeah <laughs> yeah you want fake wind from the awesome power of demonology it's his giant wing slapping that's creating that oh, wind hell yeah. and you know what it was the 70s so like i'm pretty sure that's why we got 70s album cover demon. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't have sex with her right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be fucking amazing with his fucking triple cocks. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That was the best part of the film, really. Aside from all the Crooked Man stuff, because Crooked Man stuff was brilliant. I mm. really enjoyed the living hell out of that and just wanted more of it. Yeah, his creepy umbrella. And I liked how... It almost was showing when the toy was spinning around and you saw the little images of the Crooked Man. And then when all the images went away, it was almost saying, oh, no, that is the Crooked Man. And when he's not in the toy, you can't see his image on the toy. I was like, ooh, I like that. That's a nice touch, I thought. Yeah. It's a good visual indicator that shit's about to go down. So the audience can be like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, he's coming. Right? So something cool like that. But basically, our what we believe to be our main ghost is uh old man ghost and we're spending a lot of time with a lot of young nubile uh 
ghosts. Yeah, young, long hair, stringy, young, out of a well kind of ghosts. Yeah, we've we, like we've that. we've been we've been dealing with a lot of young, sexy lady ghosts. It's time to deal with an old man ghost. I like this old man ghost. Yeah, Bill Wilkins. Yeah, he's seventy-two years old. He came here to see his family. Yeah, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy Bill Wilkins. And mm-hmm. it was neat because I, I wish that this story was going some of the places where my head was taking it because I wanted it to be a future version of Billy, the young Billy, the stuttering uh, young brother in this mm-hmm. film. I wanted him to be a future version who That'd ends up dying cool. in this house and just wanted everything to go back to the way it was before this whole haunting business started. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this constant revolution of ghosts that keep dying in this house, mm-hmm. which is cool because in the real true story, the little girl, um, in the real true story, the mom does end up dying in that self-same chair in the corner of the living room. So it would be a fun mythology, but no, that's not where they take it. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Wilkins is not related to the young Billy whatsoever. He's just the guy that owned the house before mm-hmm. that ended up dying in it. And now his uh, spirit is trapped there. What had happened to poor Mr. Wilkins is he had died there. And then his spirit came back to see his family and they weren't there. But then his spirit couldn't leave. The spirit... Uh, we it comes off for, at first as quite aggressive. Now, the original Conjuring film, the the malevolent spirit that was there was a Satanist and was um, killed for their practices and shit. A very evil type woman uh, who was a messenger of the devil. And then when she died, that continued and that sort of like murderous cycle was continued ad nauseum for anyone that got near the house. Now, I thought that we were kind of going in the same direction when we introduced a bill and Ed suggested, don't you want to go to heaven? He's like, I'm not a heaven guy or whatever. I was like, oh, is he another, was he an evil old man? Like they're not very clear about who this dude was. And I thought we were going to, find out that he was a pedophile or, or at least that he killed his whole family something something, something that would that would warrant that he was evil but there was a couple of strange things going on one Lorraine can't feel a presence whatsoever mm-hmm. and if in the previous films have indicated that she's very uh, aware of when places are possessed and this is a very aggressive haunting so it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense why she can't feel anything and then also we're not getting a lot of backstory about this bill guy except for the fact that he did exist and he must have owned the house, although they don't directly say that. And then and then he's looking for his family, and they don't know where his family is. And my question would be, I feel like that's a very easy thing to fucking find. Well, they did. When they're talking in the pub, they said the previous owner was uh, William Wilkins. Oh, okay. And that he did die in the house, and he had an aneurysm in that chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do find that out. But then they point out that this is all public record and they must be faking it. It's just a hoax. And it's mm-hmm. information that the little girl could find out on her own, mm-hmm. which is silly. Cause they keep trying to make this into a hoax, and they try and blame it on the little girl over and over, mm-hmm. which of course is what you're supposed to do. Right. But they don't try and figure out why this person would be haunting there. Sure. They verify that the guy died there and they verify that the guy used to own the house, but they don't verify anything beyond that or what would have made him evil or if he's even evil they don't try and figure out any of that they don't the bill seems to be i mean 
my house. Yeah, he, he's, get out. Yeah, he's it, it's and I guess that's a comfortable argument. We've seen tons of films where it's that where it's just like this is our house, so get the fuck out of our house. This is my house. I'm I. Well, it's all the Ocean Avenue house wants from anyone is for them to get out. Mm-hmm, exactly. So. I mean, even the Hull House. Hull House tells Hull House. people to get out. Yeah. Yeah. That's what haunted houses do. They say, get out. Yeah. Leave me alone. I want to be a house. I want yeah. to be a house. Just hanging out. I would always, if I was haunting a house, I would want to bring, I would want to invite people so I could watch, you know, be a little fly in the wall. Oh, gross. I didn't know where you're going at first until your eyes got all sparkly. <laughs> no, but then I would hope that other people would go to love the house as much as I do. And then die in that house. And then... I got some more ghost buddies to hang out with. I think I'm fine with that empty house. I would be a get out ghost. No, not me. I'd be like, maybe it's a party ghost. Maybe we can all have a good time. I don't know where all the do, best parties do, are. Do, do, yeah. Do, 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 no, I would do, be a get out ghost. Do, 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 for sure. Do. Like, you know, the, the, the mom would, uh, would like come out of the shower and like, you know, go towards the window. And just before she was about to wipe her hand on that steamy window, it would have in ghostly reverse writing that she would have to uh, interpret as like, I saw your boobs. <laughs> Colon. Boy, oh, 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 oh. oh my God. <laughs> I'm so glad that you don't haunt my house. Please live forever. <laughs> you know what, Lids? I'll try. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, back to this fucking film. There's, uh, they they learn a little bit about Bill, but they don't seem to believe him, and uh, or that it's really uh, happening. And it's doubly suspicious when there's a huge event that happens at the house when a lot of people are there. And the kitchen kitchen gets completely trashed. Dishes broken. Tables flipped. Spoons bent. Spoons bent. Spoons bent. Yes. Uh, very difficult to do. And then there's video footage captured of the young lady doing all of this herself. Now, instantly, I'm just thinking, well, she's been shown as possessed several times in the movie already yeah why why wouldn't she possess superhuman strength to flip a table and bend an entire spoon in half not just any spoon like a cooking spoon like a big one and she didn't even like put it between two things and and bend it that way nah she just hulked out and did it yeah just hulked out but yeah they've shown her being possessed many times and doing almost superhuman things they even show like her facial expressions change her body positioning changes her voice changes quite obviously the color of her eyes change mm-hmm. the the shape of her teeth seems to change when she's possessed mm-hmm. so why wouldn't she be able to flip a fucking table yeah or why wouldn't she be why wouldn't the ghost possessing her decide to trash the house i don't know i don't i, I tripped over the exact same thing why this videotape proves that it's a hoax mm-hmm. at the very least that the warrens seem at the very least, the Warrens seem to think that all the church is going to do is look at that video and see a little girl trash in the kitchen. And that's all she wrote. They don't care about that after that, especially since the Warrens coming off of the Amityville thing, which was a huge media bonanza. Yeah, fiasco. And then it became uh, controversial because of the uh, the family themselves 
admitting to a hoax or some shit like that. I don't have, I don't remember all the details, but, but like it being even valid. And so the church not wanting, look, if we keep feeding these media bonanzas and blitzes, people are going to think we're a fucking joke. And, but it's not fair because the church had done one insisted on one thing that they interview this little girl on tape recorder and they talk to the spirit, but she has to hold water in her mouth to prove that it's not just ventriloquism. That there's some sort of spirit and the the physics of all that disturbed me because i'm like okay now you now you're proving all sorts of different things you're not just proving that this little girl is possessed you're proving that this being is in the house and that disembodied voices can come from nowhere so why does the girl even need to be present at all and what is this water thing why not take the girl out of the house or put her to sleep entirely sedate her you're holding water in her mouth it's just so much theatrics it's just very parlor game to me so but they have that. So doesn't that prove to the church? Isn't that going according to the church's little rules of you have to interview the spirit and the little girl has to have water in her mouth? They did that. And they passed with flying colors as far as I'm concerned. Because aside from how bored I was during that scene, it was a very cool scene where Ed Warren is interviewing little Janet and she has water in her mouth. But then the voice of Bill Wilkins comes through and we have sort of a distorted vision because... Janet's in the background mm -hmm. and we get sort of to meet Bill, right? The spirit version of Bill who comes across as almost like a golem sort of figure. Yeah. 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 He really does. It's, it's a pretty long interview, but isn't that more than enough for the church? Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, I don't, I really don't know. And, and again, by like fucking hour four of the movie, you're just like wondering when is this happening? Like by hour four. Oh, for fuck's sake. Like, it's a chunky set. Mm -hmm. It's a real chunky set. Which is really, again, like up until the halfway point, it didn't feel like that. It was only from then on that it started to drag. Even though we were treated to wonderful crooked man bits, they're not long enough. And they didn't, yeah, they didn't help this long feeling. And, listen, like, I don't know. Like, to me, what am I even trying to say? I, I I just think that there's so much fucking going on in this movie. I feel like there's like three things going on in this movie. That's why we're jumping around because there's no point in going linearly, I think. Yeah. Because we'd be like, oh, yeah, and guess what? Oh, yeah, and by the way, because mm. none of it really seems it seems to be this demon Valak. By the way, like that seems to be what this thing is trying to do. And apparently both whatever the crooked man is. And he's they, not they, related to any of this at all. Yeah, they, they said like, oh, the crooked man and 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 Bill Wilkins, they're they're distractions. They're distractions for what this demon is. And this kitchen fiasco that ends up happening is done because this entity said that it would kill the, the mom. The, yeah, if if you do not make everyone else go away. So it just wanted the investigators to leave. And that is an interesting angle to all of this. I actually mm -hmm. enjoyed that. But by that point, I was already pretty pissed off with being trapped into this movie at this point. So it sort of fell flat, unfortunately, for me. But it is an interesting tactic on, on the demon's behalf. Mm -hmm. It is that something a demon would do. Yeah. And, and again, it, it, it's very it's a tricky demon. To, it's, it's got its own agenda and it's trying to get these people out of the house. Um, I mean, in the meantime, we're, we're, we're treated to like, 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 again, like there's weird music choices and I don't know, like, I, I like uh, the opening sequence where we're like, we're going to England and just in case you're not sure, we're going to play the clash and 
we're gonna have all of these like stock footages of like the queen and some riots yeah yeah some riots and here's some punks and and here is like the London underground strike or something like yeah that. you know people I, shopping I, yeah yeah and i was just like just, we're in london i was like you can't it seems so weird to me. I was like, I feel like I'm watching like a fucking like National Lampoon goes to England sequence where like, here's us going to England. And it's like, like a Euro trip type thing where like, here's like the plane going across the map. Dotted line. <laughs> yeah. It was silly. It was very silly and a, and a weird music choice as much as I like The Clash and I like that song. Oh yeah, for fuck. I love yeah. that fucking song. I thought it was going to be like... Um, graduation party scene and when i looked up and i was like oh it's just a montage to let us know we're in london what the fuck stupid stupid choice some of the music choices were interesting Mm -hmm. i didn't dislike them i did dislike them all sitting around and playing guitar and singing yeah which didn't seem to fit give me that guitar over there like what the fuck is happening yeah what is happening like i I remember watching i was like this is pulling me out of it any any tension that you were trying to build which by the way i didn't feel any tension in this entire film and i'm not trying to say that i'm a particular people are oh wes you watch a lot of horror movies therefore i'm like "Mm, no i'm an exceedingly cheap date when it comes to getting spooked and scared at some of these guys like so it's not that like it's just i wasn't feeling anything and i'll tell you i when i first watched the first conjuring movie i definitely jumped at several things i thought it was really creepy there was definitely scary moments in that film and i don't like i just wasn't fucking i worry very much when it comes to a film like this succeeding the way that it has is that people are not just cheap dates because that's just being a little too broad and i think you're being hard on yourself if you're gonna say that you're a cheap date yeah but you kind of are yeah you kind of are and and you're forgiving and you're understanding and you you just like being entertained you enjoy this horror entertainment i enjoy horror entertainment as well i think the people that are entertained by this aren't entertained by horror entertainment they just like flashing bright lights that is me being a little obtuse granted it really is but that's what it strikes me as. And on the other hand, I'm also worried that this is just Christian propaganda. So people can see that being reflected and that might is right and white is good. And the, the Bible will save the day sort of thing. They see that in it and it doesn't matter. Everything else around it is just all weird demon shit. They don't understand. So when somebody beats someone down with a cross eventually and, and hands it to the little girl in the bumper of an ambulance, then it all rings right with them. Mm-hmm. It's weird, though, especially when we're talking about the use of crosses in this film. I liked the room with all the crosses in it. It looked cool. Visually, I, yeah. I, I liked, liked it when it all turned upside down. It was cool. I don't like the inconsistency of this Bill Wilkins spirit under the influence of Valak or not. Well, I don't understand why Ed Warren's cross really affects this thing like banishes it almost every time it sees it yet it can go into it can still there can still be paranormal events within a room with 50 crosses in it i know it makes no sense to me either um unless it's about the intent because that's being used as a device as well that it doesn't matter if it's two sticks crossed or uh, an actual cross that somebody has had passed down in their family and came from some Catholic church, if they don't believe in what they're, they're feeling and they don't, yeah. their will isn't behind it and there's no faith behind it, then it means nothing. And that could be part of it. But, um, maybe a line about that or something. Just... It would have been interesting and I didn't catch anything about it. I know that, um, the real life Lorraine Warren wears a piece of the true cross and it would have been an interesting thing if they would have pulled that thread into it and maybe Ed's 
was a piece of the true cross in his little cross that he was wearing. But he had a different story about how it came from his dad. So whatever. That flushes that down the toilet. So it's un it's inconsistent, yeah. And it's a little aggravating. Totally. And, and honestly, it just it keep things consistent, guys. Like, I just don't understand why... I just don't understand why it's not consistent. Why, yeah, hundred of crosses in one room have no effect, but Ed Warren's does. His little tiny little dinky cross where he's like, ah, and like, because I, I mean. It's... I was surprised it had any effect. That's another eye roll worthy moment for me because of all yeah. the other times I was, not that, not that I need the demon to be that powerful and all of these trinkets linked to Christianity be utterly useless. It's not that I need, need, need that because I'm fine watching religious horror. I enjoy religious horror very mm-hmm. much. But that inconsistency really did give me an eye roll worthy moment. Um, yeah. And sorry, the, one of the points that I was going to make earlier was something that I thought was really interesting. Going back to our crooked man, going back to Bill Wilkins, the old man ghost. They specifically say once they realize what's going down once they have the appropriate amounts of visions and shit they they say specifically that bill wilkins and the crooked man are distractions from the the real evil that's there so are they saying that the crooked man is a genuine independent entity because bill is yeah bill is a is a genuine spirit that happens to have gotten in this web of this greater demon that tracks demons do have command over the dead. Um, especially if you get stuck into their web, especially if you're a particularly agnostic person like, uh, Bill claimed to be, which would be, which fits perfectly. In yeah. Mind. Yes. But does that mean that the crooked man is a fucking entity? So that, the crooked man lived there before or, Bill, or like, or somehow in this toy, like, like I don't know. Like, like, I don't understand. That's like, what like, saying. and it would have been helpful if there would have been a line to say that the crooked man was some sort of aspect of Bill's personality. Because if other children were milling about, sort of like the unfriendly giant's castle, they would see this old man and think of him as the crooked man from that sort of nursery rhyme. And it could be an aspect of his personality. But now the two are completely different entities, and. I guess the crooked man is every bit as real as Bill, which is very strange to me. Now I can I can accept the uh, the idea that a nursery rhyme would stem from somewhere. We've been saying this crooked man rhyme for years, but where does it come from? Ding ding ding! Music fucking cues and shit like that. That would be the trailer. Like the for... Bloody Mary. Exactly. Yeah. It's like where does this thing come from? And there's your fucking smash cut trailer where you're just like the legend. The legend of the crooked man. Exactly. Like yeah. and you could just and you could have like a little an eerie little girl just rhyming the fucking thing off and like there's your whole movie. That's what I'm saying. It's like the crooked man is a whole movie. Bill Wilkins is a whole movie. The nun is a whole movie. And it's all these things in one fucking picture and I can't keep track of the it Infield all. Haunting is a whole other movie no, the, and the, the Warrens the, story. The, something different. That's things. that's the thing. It's, yeah, the Warrens. The, the the Amityville house is there. It's a kitchen sink and by like, the time I was getting really fed up with this kitchen sink something very, very cool was happening on screen. And the little girl, Janet, was in her full possessed glory hanging out of an open window that had been smashed and Ed Warren was trying to save her finally and it was just very, very cool visuals going on. But by that time, I was so lost in the story. And not lost because it's confusing. Lost because I wasn't interested. So it was just a cinematic waste by that point. 
if you like i don't know like i feel like if you wanted to really keep this conjuring thing going there's no reason to put all this stuff into one picture like it's not the worst thing i've ever seen in the world and i think that if a lot of people are casual horror fans you will go into it and you'll probably be fine or like i don't think it's that bad and it's not that bad but for the things that really agitate me is when i look at the money when i look at the effort when i look at all the elements in there that should be working right and you just didn't have a a little bit more discipline with your script I find that incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And I find the repeated story elements from the first one incredibly frustrating. And I and I and I think that we wasted the Enfield haunting, we we wasted Amityville, we wasted Valak, we wasted the crooked man, we wasted it all. Even little tiny things because you know Valak, crooked man, Enfield, all of that aside, just Bill Wilkins himself was super fascinating. And they even had like little techniques of he was biting. He bit the mom and he bit yeah. the little girl and he's missing two teeth. And that's documented. Yeah. They find that out when they're, when they're sitting in the pub and doing their little info swap. Yeah. And then later on, Ed Warren in the basement that's flooded for whatever reason. And he finds after the mom gets bit a partial denture with his two missing teeth. Mm-hmm. So at least like there's not only a lot of documentation about Bill Wilkins and he spoke through little girl and they have like a lot of description of him. He's definitely the one that is causing a lot of these very violent manifestations. They have something physical that he left behind aside from what looks like staining on the wall. I don't know. Um, and the chair itself, which he probably defecated in when he died, mm-hmm. but like, they have his partial denture with those two missing teeth that are like the earmark of his bite marks, which is so cool. It's such a cool little tiny thing, but yeah. it's lost in the muck that is his film. And, and and it's weird because it's almost like at the end they're trying to say that Bill Wilkins was, oh, he was just a regular old spirit that just happened to pass through. But I was like, well, he was doing shit though. It's not like he was just – like he was active. Why was he biting people then? Like why was he – was that the, was that Valak speaking through him? I guess him? so. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. I don't understand. It's I don't weird. Really it's weird. And it's the whole thing is just set up just so they can say that Valak somehow lured the Warrens there and and that's what this all was ever since the Amityville Lorraine is saying uh that's the closest to hell I ever want to get, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then from that moment till this moment, this demon has been trying to find track them. So that Ed and Lorraine Warren can prove how much they love one another. I know, and that's fine, I guess, but like... No, it's so, not fine. It's it, a waste of everyone's time, and it's not actual... Anything close to what their actual lives were like whatsoever. You might as well just rename them entirely. They could have even renamed these people someone else entirely mm-hmm. and used a lot less of them, and they would have been just as interesting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's what it seems to be, that this demon has infiltrated... Lorraine Warren through her visions that are stupid, I might add, and annoying, um, to make them come here to prove how much they love one another. Mm. They might as well renew their vows at this point. Maybe. I think that overall, overall, The Conjuring just seems like a lot of missed opportunities to me. It's not necessarily... Like, I know we've been going pretty hard on it. And if you like this movie, I'm sorry. Well, we can't help it because there are a lot of elements that are, were very, very frustrating to us. Um, and not enough visual elements that were interesting 
to offset all of that. Mm -hmm. And even the things that we really like, it's, it's unfortunately a really good example of how to take a lot of stuff that I really, really like in paranormal, ghost, mm -hmm. and haunting films and just make an absolute mess of it. Yeah, too much going on. And I think what's more frustrating is just, I mean, according to according to reviews and everything like that, it's just like everyone just loved it. And uh, like, I, that's fair. It's not, like I said, it's not the worst thing in the world. And I'm sorry if you like this movie, but I, I just, uh, I can't in good conscience recommend this to anybody. I think that your, your time's better spent uh, watching either the first Conjuring film or you know what? We did Lights Out last week. That's a good movie. Lights Out was great. So let's really so great. watch that movie. I'm glad that I got to see this though for The Crooked Man. The Crooked Man's really cool. Like I said, there's cool ideas, but it's almost like, fuck man, I don't know. I have a, I have a stinking suspicion that in 25 years, we're going to get like some kind of tell-all book from James Wan. And I guarantee you there's going to be a whole chapter about like, how the studio wouldn't leave him alone with this fucking picture. Do you think that was him a cameo at the very, very beginning in the Amityville room house? Do you uh, think? No, that's not It him. looked like him. It looked so much like him. No, that guy in the, the guy in the beginning of the movie is too young. Too oh, young. James you think Wan's so? Little, yeah, little, probably little, like 15 years too young. Yeah. James Wan's not an old man, but he's, you know, he's not a, he's not like that young anymore. He was from the first Conjuring movie too. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Well, before we check out entirely, as far as conjuring type stuff, if you're into that, but you also like reading books instead of just having the flashing lights because you're part moth, there's a really cool book about a really similar possession called Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. It's an award-winning from last year, really fucking good book, but it really dances around this, is it a hoax or is it not? Is it a hoax for money or is this girl crazy? Mm -hmm. Or is this a bona fide haunting and the church becomes involved and it becomes a reality television show? And it gets very close to a lot of the elements that were at play in this film, but handled expertly. And it's a really wonderful read. So as far as new classic horror goes, it was sort of like a, a, a hip new bent to it, especially on the old story of a, of a classic demonic possession with you know, reality show elements in it, I highly recommend Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Especially for people that did enjoy Conjuring 2. Mm -hmm. If you like this sort of story, you'll fucking dig the shit out of that book. Mm -hmm. So what do we got next for him? Next, we have Orphan. Ooh. Yeah, which isn't that new, but it's gotten the same sort of feel to me on these blockbuster Hollywood films, except that it's really fucking good. <laughs> That makes it seem like that you think that a lot of Hollywood blockbusters aren't good. Well, I won't stand for it. By the way, uh, if you guys ever want to recommend any of these Hollywood blockbusters to us, you can tweet me at Wes Deadairnipe or you can tweet Lydia at Typical Lydia. Also, um, I meant to make an announcement. Um, I swore to myself that I would start uh, letting you guys know by episode 95. And this is episode 96. So I'm one episode late. But I wanted to let you guys know that we are encroaching on our 100th episode. Now, after our 100th episode, there's going to be some changes, some big changes to this podcast. First of all, Lydia replaced by Guy Ritchie. He, he wanted to do it. I said, Lydia, you're out. My guy, Guy, is going to be doing it. And also, we're going to be switching to a biweekly schedule. Emphasis on the bi. <laughs> <laughs> No, so no Guy Ritchie, but we are going to be switching to a 
bi-weekly schedule and i know for some of you that's going to be a little hard to hear um we love definitely making the show for you weekly but it just uh for right now uh with a lot of our personal projects that we have going on i know lydia is heavily writing right now as am i um and it just seems to make the most sense for now anyways that we'll be doing bi-weekly so it'll be every second friday after episode 100 which is an exciting thing because it will leave a lot more time for our other projects, which I know people aren't disinterested in. Mm-hmm. And we'll still be bringing maybe even a better quality con- podcast because not that we can improve on this. <laughs> We're golden as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we certainly won't be distracted and we won't be rushing through a show ever, which we tend to not do. But it's coming up to a point where we would be. There would have to be some sacrifices made and we can't sacrifice our art or our lives at all. And we don't want to sacrifice a minute of the show. So bi-weekly it is. Yeah, bi-weekly it is. We'll definitely be uh, able to give you guys a better quality show. We can uh, maybe do some research for once. Uh, even though like no one seems to complain these days. You guys are always really sweet about the episodes and the show. And I uh, really appreciate that. But uh, I feel, though, as though that a bi-weekly schedule, we started out as bi-weekly. That's how we used to do the show all the time. How bi-weekly. We started out as whenever we could get to it. And even <laughs> yeah. now, we do take breaks from time to time. But we have doubled up to maintain a weekly schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up, it'll just be a lot easier to maintain a bi-weekly schedule without having to sacrifice anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think sometimes on those double-up weeks, uh, I, I tend to feel like we, we do sometimes blow through things a little quick. Um, which isn't fair to you guys and is not fair to the, the 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 movies that we're doing. So I definitely think it makes more sense. We'll keep letting you guys know, reminding you uh, that we're going to be switching to bi-weekly up until the 100th episode. But uh, until then, we will be coming out every week, probably as scheduled. Hey, man, at least we're not going to go like Patreon only and bullcrap like that. Folks, let me tell you about Casper Mattress. If you want an absolute perfect night's sleep, I highly recommend a Casper Mattress. You know, I sleep at a Casper Mattress at home, and uh, my only critique is that it moves around a lot when you're having sex. I thought it had just the right sink and just the right bounce. I mean, I don't know. I feel like every time I have to move the bed around a lot. Do you flip uh, it every time you leave great big cum stains on it? or do you Have you ever had an anal sex accident where you got like the poop and the lube? No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I usually if it's probably like poop resistant. Well, I tell you, it's real good fabric. It is real good fabric. Yeah, I've gotten one or two stains out of it already. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I just be happy we're not going there. Just be happy that we're gonna keep putting out comics and books and other projects. So yeah. Be happy we're not going there because you just got a taste of what it would be like. So what are you drinking there, Wes? <laughs> Fucking drinking up your goddamn tall glass of sarcasm that you fucking serve up every fucking episode. I think I'm borderline Asperger's. I don't really understand sarcasm. More like dad Asperger's. Okay. I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.